Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, this is Martin Hunter, your host of What CEOs Talk About show, where we talk about translating strategies into frontline operations. We have past guests like Mark Raffin from Negotiations Ninja, Ryan McKenzie from True Earth, and let's put Dominic Rubin, a good friend of both Sebastian and I from the Profit Tool Belt and the Cabinet Making Profit Tool Belt. Ah, yeah, that. <laughs> say that five times quick. <laughs> Can't even uh, say it once, Martin. I know. I say, yeah, he's, he's on, on the top of mind on a lot of these ones. Um, this episode is brought to you by Urgio. Urgio is Latin for to urge a strong desire to drive change, stimulate thought, incite feelings, incurred action. Urgio provides fractional COO services to move you through growing pain so that your company can flourish and profit. Sebastian, you are a visionary CEO. How important is it to have an integrator? at yourself? Uh, it's essential. It's the only way the vision can move forward. Well, it's got to be, uh, got to be well organized and well executed. That's Fabulous. definitely not my job. <laughs> <laughs> like I say all the time, some of these, like Sebastian, he's so visionary. He doesn't have back pockets on his jeans because he doesn't need them. He doesn't look back. <laughs> uh, so if you're that visionary CEO that doesn't have back pockets, or back pockets, yeah, back pockets on your jeans, or your VC of a company that has one of these CEOs at the helm of one of your businesses, and you want to get that idea across the line or help them uh, monetize that idea, then go to urgeo.ca, uh, email them at info at urgeo.ca. Urgeo has worked with a multitude of companies from SaaS, CPG, mining, transportation, from startup all the way to large multinational corporations. Our guest today, Sebastian Nolt, the founder and CEO of Black Tie Group of Businesses. 10 years, 10 year, every, uh, 10 year anniversary is coming up. What's wrong with my mouth today? Uh, he is uh, part of the board member for the Vancouver EO chapter. How many years have you been on the board? Uh, it's my fourth year this year. Fourth year. Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, keeps me busy for sure. It's a good way <laughs> to give back to the entrepreneurial community. And- and meet great people. Yeah, let's talk about that after. I think like, how mm-hmm. it works into and uh, motorcycle enthusiast. Uh, Seb and I go on motorcycle trips, so can't wait for the summer to show up with my new motorbike. Yeah. I'm turning fifty mm-hmm. this year. Booyah! <laughs> <laughs> so, Seb, I let all my guests pick the title of the show. What is near and dear to your heart? What do you want to put in the middle of this episode? Uh, for me, I think my, my number one, like my reason for being or for doing anything is to uh, be free. So freedom uh, is, is top of mind for sure. And uh, yeah, we can talk about how I managed to make the business work to give me more freedom and, and also how we can uh, incorporate freedom as part of, a, of company values, which is not always obvious, but uh, we managed, I think, to do a good job here at Black Tie. You live and breathe. So for the listeners and the people who are watching, Sebastian lives this, okay? So we're going to find out his tips and tricks on how to do it. But 
Sebastian buggers off two, three months out of the year, I think. Yeah, three, so, yeah, three, three months at least. So it's, it's usually two months consecutive in the winter time, and then another month throughout, like in form of like a couple weeks in August, and maybe some, some long weekends and some more cycle journeys throughout the summer. Sweet. So, uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. So let's let's start with your story, Sebastian. How does how does it back in night oh nineteen seventy something for you for sure? <laughs> <laughs> let's not go to <laughs> how does it all start? We'll leave, how, we'll go leave ahead. The details out. We'll yeah, yeah, details yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how does it start? It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I've never really had a, a real job, so never. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I had one job, I think, that I had it for, for and that's when I was a ski instructor. So that's not even a real job. No, that's, that doesn't count. Sorry, sorry, ski instructors out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had a family friend when I was a kid um, that was a window washer. And hmm. uh, actually, we had a couple. And, uh, and one of them, like, I looked at his life, and I think I was, like, 14, 15, starting to think, like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? And this guy was, like, traveling all the time and you work just a couple of days a week, you always mm-hmm. have a nice car. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, how do you do that? And then he was like, well, you know what? Like I'll, I'll help you out. So he, he told me what to buy. So I bought my first, you know, my parents helped me out and we bought a first mm-hmm. like window cleaning equipment and kit. And, and then um, my mom drove me to the mall and the, that guy, that family friend said, listen, like, you know, if you charge like $3 to clean these like six windows over there, like they'll hire you for sure. And you just like you give them a little receipt and they pay you cash and mm-hmm. that's great. Like, you know, I charge double that, but you know, if you go in as a kid, they'll they'll give you the work. So he, he gave me some pointers and I went around the mall and I started like, you know, talking to mm-hmm. people and knocking on doors and, and got my first little window cleaning route and, and it was it was great. Like that was, you know, and um like late eighties, I guess, mm-hmm. like early nineties. And that, that was like, as a kid, I was making like 30 bucks an hour cash. And that, yeah. that was awesome. I only, <laughs> only worked a couple hours a week, but it was amazing. I, I loved it. Right. So I, I think that gave me sort of the, the giving a realization that there was no cap on my income. I was an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, but I found that very exciting. Uh, and also like, it, I don't know, it just gave me that, that, that impression of, of, you know, being my own boss, I mm-hmm. have freedom doing what I want. So, yeah. So, the, and I guess like just my life sort of unfolded that way after that, like, you know, from small business to um, different entrepreneurial ventures to what I'm doing now. Uh, I've always sort of been a very independent minded, like entrepreneurial type. Mm-hmm. So when did, when did black tie, uh, when did you give birth to black tie? Black tie came about in 20, uh, 2011, February of 2011 is when we, the company got founded. Um, we backtrack a bit. This is my, my second venture okay. uh, in, in this space of exterior building maintenance, which is funny, like, because I circled back to it, like, you know, from having my, my 14-year-old self washing windows <laughs> at the mall to, like, now having a, you know, exterior building maintenance. So we're full service window cleaning, power washing, dryer vent cleaning, roof anchor inspection. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of all this janitorial type stuff, but for the exterior building mm-hmm. focused on uh, high angle and, and roll back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So that's that's what we do, and that's my second business in that space. My first one was called Skywalker High Rise Services, and I started <laughs> that with a good friend of mine that uh, who actually like you know was a, a mentor to me when I was younger, and we both ended up moving to Vancouver, and he's the one that that gave me a, a good start in the in the high rise window cleaning mm. world. So backtracking again a bit before that, like we, so I, I left Quebec in 1999. Mm-hmm between my legs bankrupt really bad place in life not <laughs> not good oh, wow. um moved to vancouver uh where my friend andre was here and mm-hmm. he said hey just just come here i'll help you out we can wash windows together he was a high-rise window cleaner at the time so moved out here and then, you know i was 23 and a little bit dumb i guess and i i, <laughs> I didn't realize that i might be afraid of heights maybe that <laughs> wouldn't work out I, I, so I got here, I was like, I just wanted to get away, things were not going well. Um, got here and realized I was terrified of ice, really tough. And like, I Sorry. got on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can laugh about it now. Was, yeah, 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 let me cross was, the country. <laughs> I know, right? Redo my like, life and get to the yeah. end of it and then go, oh yeah. shit, I can't do this, yeah? Yeah, so you know, it was just a high school education, barely spoke English. It was not like I could turn around and say, "Oh, this is not working. I'm going to go do something yeah. else." And oh, you know, like living in Vancouver is not cheap, and um, you know, this paid good money. So I, I really wanted to make this work. So, um, so, I, but I learned a lot from my experience. Like this was a huge fear. Like I was terrified every day going to work. I had to step over the edge of a building and literally like half the time like i'd go to go over the edge i'd have to stop and like go hit the bathroom like i was literally scared shitless like it was really tough um so it took me like two or three months to get into it and and eventually i conquered my fear it became you know i was still afraid but like manageable. i was able to go to work and not think i was going to die like every minute that i was working so that that was a big improvement and from there i you know i started doing a bit, I, I wanted to pursue uh, a career probably in marketing or PR or advertising, something like that. I, I thought, having gone bankrupt my first business in Quebec, I thought that, you know, I'm not built to run a business. I can't mm-hmm. do this. I failed. I fell on my face. And now I better go study to get a real job, right? So that's what I did. I took part-time classes at DCIT while I was uh, washing windows. And, and I was really like sort of hoping to to go work in an office somewhere, a student tie and like build, you know, start climbing the corporate ladder or, you know, do the regular job thing. And, uh, and you know, after a while, like, I, you know, I was studying and I was getting a place where I felt I had enough, like, that I could tackle some projects. And so I did some event planning. I did a few PR projects on the side. I worked with different companies uh, just on contracts mm-hmm. and uh, quickly realized it's not really a field where, um, I, I was finding myself comfortable or that, you know, I wasn't really excited about it. And at the same time, my, my friend Andre, who I was washing windows with, was starting his own business. It said, like, starting to hit the ceiling. I'm mm-hmm. maxed out. I can't keep up with all the stuff that's coming my way. Do you want to help me out? And um, so he brought me on, and it was not a huge risk. It was a friend, and, mm-hmm. and you know, he offered me 25% equity, which was really generous of him off the, off the top. And, and we started working together uh, for... And that lasted three years, and it was uh, it was super fast growth. It was great. Like we went from you know three or four guys together to about fifteen employees after three years. Um, 
and uh, you know, just learning everything from mm-hmm. from scratch. I didn't know anything. Like basically, like you know, it was um, the first time that I was really uh, approaching business from a very systematic way and wanting to mm-hmm. really make the most of it. And that's when I uh, I was introduced to the uh, EO Accelerator program, which was yeah. like, massive help, like, really, really uh, big impact on on our business and on myself personally as well. Uh, that network was like absolutely fantastic, and and I learned so much from that program, and I implemented everything as I went, and and it got us uh, from like you know zero to you know probably like a little over a million in sales, like within um, within two and a half years. So that was was pretty good. It felt it felt great, and we were in a good spot. But um, I think my partnerships can be challenging at the best of times, and and fortunately that that partnership. Uh, was not meant to be we we started like having different uh, ways mm-hmm. of looking at things and uh and uh we we parted ways in uh so, 2010 so what was the different i want to come back because there's a lot of lessons mm-hmm. here that i want to make sure that everybody captures so what was mm-hmm. what was the big split like when you said you know we're for those who are listening said pointed kind of made a y with his hands going one direction mm-hmm. and then kind of giving yeah. a 45 so that you're a 90 degree angle so it doesn't have to be a full, you know, 180, but you were going one way, he was going the other way. What was the big difference? What was the, the big separator? What caused the divorce? Uh, well, I think I made a couple moves that maybe as a 25% partner, I was, he felt I was not really entitled to make. Like I uh-huh. uh, maybe spent monies in ways that, spent money in ways that he was not uh, uh, agreeing with. I, I was really focused on growth and, and pushing sales and marketing and, and wanting to, I, I saw potential to really blow this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we disagreed on the vision. He felt it was a little too wobbly. He wanted to keep things a little bit tighter, um, be able to have a business where you could have oversight of everything without, you know, like having to rely too much on, on systems. And, and so, so basically that I think that the vision was where it, it wasn't working. I saw like, a massive enterprise, and I think he—that's not what he saw. That was not in his in his wheelhouse. So, um, and, and you know, when when you start having diverging visions and and values, we never have had that exercise of like, what are our values? Yeah, that's right. For this business, we kind of like thought, hey, yeah, yeah, let's start this business. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> let's make and, money. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you know, three years down the line, you realize that you know, for me, like. Yeah, we started this business and we're going there, like to the right. And he's looking at the business, like, yeah, we started this business and I'm going to the left. And it's not, we're not aligned anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah. there's yeah. so for those who are listening, and, and and one exercise that I do frequently is I don't necessarily listen. I listen for keywords that kind of define the emotional state. But think, feel, do. You said when you were a kid, 16 years old, you felt freedom of being able to do what I wanted to do. And that, I think, is st- I know, Samson, I think that that, and then when you hear those specific words and you go, what has he done lately? So you powered through, right? So you went down the hill, you hit rock bottom, and you powered through. So, okay, what can I do? You've mentioned the word learning continuously, continuously. What have I learned? What have I learned? Um, the failures, I've never, I, I, you said, oh, I failed it. But you went over the failure and then kind of stick to it. So that really means that deep down inside, 
it's not about how you fail and how the world is against you, but really, how do I succumb this? How do I uh, uh, go around it? So it, it really identifies you as a person. And I think the last one that you said in the divergence of, of direction was you don't want control. And control also means that it controls your life. So if you have to micromanage, that's not freedom. So let's go there because I think it kind of mm-hmm. circles back in your story when, when you put freedom and I, I listen for those words and I go, oh, wow, Sebastian did this, Sebastian did that. He's learning. He's learning. Ultimately, his goal is to bugger off for three months out of the year, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. deep down inside, you might not have a thought it, but subconsciously it was there because way back when, when you were 14, 15, 16, you're like, hey, I, I love being in charge of my own life you know, being the freedom that it, it comes, the freedom of choice, if you want to call it that, then the freedom to do what you want to do, which is a freedom of choice while operating a business. So you're invested in your business to be able to sustain the prosperity that you want to have. So the control. So, mm-hmm. so tell me, so now black ties there, what, uh, what's on the wall? You said vision, core values. What are they? Uh, well, it's, you know, we, we follow the EOS system. So we're like the book Traction by Gino Wickman mm-hmm. that, you know, outlines a, outlines a, a operating system for mm-hmm. your business. And that's what we follow. So, you know, we have our, basically we, we run three different right now at the moment, three operating companies going up to five with two more locations in Alberta coming up um, next month. Um, and, you know, for each of these companies, there is a sort of like, big 10-year vision and then there's, we will it down to a three-year plan mm-hmm. um, and from there we have our actual our annual strategic plan that's just broken down by quarter that we you know mm-hmm. we have rocks that we work towards every quarter um, so that's and and part of that uh, that document is called the vision traction organizer the VTO and then part of that uh, the exercise when you create your first VTO and you do your, your vision building exercise you really have to nail down your values. So if you haven't done that, it's supposed to be exercise of really figuring out what your values are as a company. And um, it's interesting because we, we, you know, Dominic Rubino, he was on your mm-hmm. podcast and he's also a good friend of mine that I met through my EO forum a few years back. And he's the one that pointed out to me, like I think it was five or six years ago in a meeting. And then he was like, I was complaining about not being able to find staff for my company. And he, he said, I said, like, have you defined your value? I'm like, no, man. I'm like, I just need window cleaners to work <laughs> for me. Like, I don't, that's, that's just that woo stuff that's nice to have. But like, what I need is bodies. It's like, well, are you going to find the right people to work in your organization? If you haven't defined who you are as an organization, I was, I was kind of like, oh, man, like, oh, that's not, wah, wah, whatever. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> That was so true. Like, you know, finally, when things slowed down over the, that winter, like, really did the exercise work on, okay, what are our values? And then we were like, once we had that, it was like, man, like, we got to fire, like, three people. Because, <laughs> like, these guys are not invited back in the spring. We need to have, like, quality people. And we need to, you know, be, put that front and center when we hire. And, and that was a huge lesson to learn, like, huge. So, our values now are at the center. Like we, I go over our values when we interview people, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's what we hire and fire based upon. You know, like it's, it's the values. They're up on the wall. They're 
right, right here in the office. And, yeah. and what are they? What's your first value? Top of the line for us is, is safety first. Like yeah. Really, really important as uh, safety uh, as the number one thing. When you're um, hanging off it, a building 300 yeah. feet in the air, safety is yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, not a it's choice. Really, yeah, it's very clear. Uh, accountable is the second one. Mm -hmm. We're we're accountable to our clients and to um, and to each other mm -hmm. uh, as a team. Super important accountability. We don't waste each other's time. We you know we work together and we say we do what we say we're going to do. Mm -hmm. so that's very important. Um, third one is proud team players. Mm -hmm. So uh, I and you know we, I put that in there. Um, because you know we're we're proud of being black tie. We're heavily branded. We show up, and we want to be professional. We want mm -hmm. to look good, and we also uh, going to support each other as a team. And that's really important. We create a, a, um, a an atmosphere of trust and respect, and that's super important. We have a ton of diversity. We have people from all over the world that come and work for us. We have different, um, you know, religious set of religious beliefs. Um, sexual orientation, gender identity. We have a bit of everything with melting pot here and we're really proud of that. So uh, that's a big one. Proud team players is, is the number three. And number four is can-do attitude. And that speaks to the sort of seasonality of what we do. Uh, Got to make hay while the sun shines, literally, like when we're <laughs> uh, window cleaners. Um, you know, it might mean to push a little bit more, like, you know, to get a job finished on time. Um, but that's where I snuck in the freedom piece in, in our values. <laughs> there it is. Um, you know, because, like, you know, and, you know, being able to work harder or, or longer days and stuff like, you know, that's that sort of attitude means more freedom. Because if you're going to put the company first and help us finish jobs on time, well, if you want to take four days off, like take a longer weekend to go climbing or do your thing, because we get a lot of young guys that, you know, they're here for just a couple of years on a student holiday visa. They want to travel. They want to have fun too. Um, so I encourage that mm -hmm. a lot. Like, and our culture encourages that. Like, listen, guys, like, yeah, work three days this week, but I need you to do this amount of work in the three days that you're working. And they will. And then they get the rest of the week off. And that I love doing that for people. Um, so, yeah, that's our value. And, it, and, and you know, it, it that in the title of the show translating strategy into frontline operations the same thing how do you translate vision in day-to-day -day behavior so I, one thing i think you do very well not i think i know you do very well is you trust first and so leaders tend to say well show me what you got well you openly trust first and you say well here's a culture that we've set i'll trust you first you know if you break my trust there's consequences and I believe that as a leader, you do that very well in a selfish reason as well, because you don't want to control everything, right? You want to say, okay, here's, this is what we live because I do it. So how does that, how does that look for you? Because you, you trust first, and let me put that in regards to the freedom. I'm going to give you the freedom of choice to do what you need to do within the expectations that I have, right? So. Mm -hmm. How does now, how does that reflect on how you get stuff done? Because in preparation of your departure, how long do you, how long do you prepare for departure, for example? Uh, depends what you mean by preparing. I start so, preparing yeah. as soon as I get hit. The, I'm on the flight home from my previous trip. <laughs> I'm preparing for the next one. <laughs> what does it uh, look like? No, 
<laughs> now, I think the, uh, the now the answer is not, not that long before. I mean, we, we have a pretty uh, set meeting rhythm. We meet every week. We discuss any issues that come up. Like we have like you know a management meeting every week to discuss what's coming up. Um, usually, you know, I prepare for a trip maybe like uh, like four to six weeks before. As like you know, this is the date I'm leaving. So we usually have our end of season holiday party we'll have a big quarterly meeting and then everybody's going to look at what what is coming up for winter and because winter is our slow season mm -hmm. we'll have winter projects like for instance this year the, the warehouse is getting completely remodeled and there's a bunch gotcha. of work happening in the office and you know we we rework a bunch of systems so all all those things get sort of assigned to different people as their project or their rock for the winter and they set milestones uh to that determine if they're on track or off track and and that's it and, and while i'm away i can have a look at our you know our our documents if everything's online and i can see if everybody's on track everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing um and i do stay in touch i mean we have uh you know i'll, I'll always like you know check my emails every day and look at the our eos documents mm -hmm. to make sure that everything's done and on track Okay, so so keep going. What else do you do? So you said so that's the official preparation. So mm -hmm. when do you when do you come back? You usually come back what, early February when there's no COVID around, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, usually a couple months from yeah early December to early to mid Feb. And where do you go? Asia, typically, yeah. So we have uh, a few spots that we absolutely love in Thailand and. Uh, and we usually make a point to go spend at least three or four weeks there. And outside of that, my wife and I usually take a side trip or we go explore another country. We went to mm -hmm. Myanmar a few years ago, Vietnam the year before, and we did Laos. And like we, we always try to make a bit of an adventure out of the trip and then a bunch of time to, to relax as well. So when did you fall in love with this idea of freedom and travel? How did it, how did it come about? Well, that's, that's it. That's interesting because that's, that's not always been that way for me. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that freedom was important. I liked being my own boss and creating my own schedule. Um, but if we want to backtrack again, like back to the days of, of Skywalker, when my partner and I uh, split, um, I was convinced at the time that owning a business meant like you had to be working in your business or on your business, like, you know, all the time if you mm -hmm. wanted to be successful. Yeah, you can take a couple of weeks off maybe, but you know, more than two weeks, like entrepreneurs don't do that. So that was my, my core belief system. And, uh, and my now wife with my fiance at the time, uh, told me that said like, I really want to go travel for a year before we get married. And, uh, to me, I was like, well, that's, that's not possible. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm working on a business here that's growing and that's the plan. And, and, uh, and she, she put her foot down and, you know, said, no, I, you know what, like when we met 10 years ago, like you said, you wanted to do this as well. And now I still want to do it, but now you don't want to anymore. So, you know, I'm going to go and I want you to come with me, but if you're not coming, like I'm still going. Um, <laughs> and that was really tough. It, it was a really like sort of difficult, uh, uh, thing for me to, to yeah, get yeah, through, yeah. but like she, she, you know, we, we made it work. We decided, okay, like we're gonna, uh, 
you know, we're going to leave together in January. I'm going to go spend three weeks with you out there. And then, you know, we're going to keep traveling. And then, you know, in three months, I'll go visit you. And then we'll spend two weeks together. And so I planned like throughout the year to have some, some time together in whatever country should be in at the time. So mm-hmm. not ideal, but I figured, okay, we're going to make this work. And at the same time, I was trying to buy out my partner. Uh, oh, that's right, yeah. And, and trying to, to acquire that business that was only 25% owner. And I, I wasn't able to put enough money together to, for him to, for it to be worth it for him to exit mm. at the time. Um, so we kind of like ended up in a stalemate, like where we like, oh, it's not working. So I flipped it around and a good buddy of mine like sat down with me for dinner and said, Seb, you're miserable. Like, you know, you're trying to make this deal happen. It's not happening. And, you know, I can, he knew me pretty well. He said, listen, like, you know, your fiance is like gone. You want to be with her. Like, I was like, you know, <laughs> go, go. Move. I'm like, well, I can't. I really want to make this deal happen. It's not happening. Why don't, why doesn't he buy you out? It takes less money to buy 25%. And you'll have money. You can go travel. I'm like, huh? That's not, you know, we're not even on my radar. I wasn't even thinking that way. You know, like, shotgun claws. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I turned around. I said, like, the next day, I went and saw him. I said, listen, like, this is, you know, I'm offering you this, 75 percent. Like, 25 percent of that is this much. Like, what do you think? Like, yeah, sure. We shook hands. That was it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was super easy. Like, very, very quick and easy. And I remember like the feeling of like everything lifted off my shoulders and. You know, it was not a big exit. It was like, you know, just enough for me to have money in the bank to start a new business later and maybe go travel, but backpacking for nine to 10 months, right? So, and, um, but it made me very happy at the time. It was great. Uh, so that's sort of when my, my, my mind uh, started changing. And then I had this shift that like, oh, maybe I, I can do this. I'm so glad I did that because remember I went and met my, my uh, my wife in Bali, mm-hmm. and we started our trip together, and we traveled like straight backpacking for nine and a half months from there, and we just had the best time. I was like, I was retired, you know, in my thirties. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't have to check in on anything. I was just completely free, like completely, like, and I'm so, so glad, like, so grateful that I had that experience because we did so many things that. You know, there's no way I would be able to do if I waited until I was 65. You know, I could just like crazy boat trips and going places and adventures that, you know, seem kind of sketchy, but, you know, we're young, let's do it. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. was, it was fantastic. You know, it was really, really good. So um, you said, you said you started thinking, right? Can I do this? So when did you start thinking about black tie a little bit more in depth? Yeah. Like, did you, while you were away, you're going, okay, I really, in, I'm, I'm enjoying this. So there's mm-hmm. like, I haven't mentioned any, so, so many lessons, I'll name them up. Right. So you're not getting the deal that you want with your partner. You're disagreeing, disagreeing from what you're telling me, you're still friends or somewhat friends just didn't mean that you weren't mm-hmm. good business partners. Right. Is that mm-hmm. still correct? Yeah. Somewhat yeah. friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, don't think because you, you're so set on one direction. Think of like do 360 on the situation. That's number one. Number two, I think that you, you, you and your wife showed great determination and she put kind of lit a fire on your butt saying, well, hold on a second. Yeah. 
okay, so now I'm thinking about my business, but now I've got my family that's, you know, how do I manage all of this? That's another lesson is to make, really make sure you take a 360. And I want to say frugality. Like you don't, everybody goes, oh, I want IPO. I want to sell big. I want to make millions. Like you don't need millions to be happy. And that's what a lot of people, mm-hmm. I, I want to keep that for a little bit later because I want to, I, I want you to share how you do it because prosperity, people think about too much profit. So let's bring it back to, okay, you're starting to think your juices are flowing about black tie. Where are mm-hmm. you? What are you doing? What are you seeing? I'm sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, that, I, I wrote my business plan while on that trip and my mind sort of shifted from, you know, you can only, you'll work 12 hours a day and have two weeks vacation a year. And that's the price of running a business. Mm -hmm. I run a window cleaning slash power washing company that operates in full speed for nine months of the year with three months off. How do I fill those three months? How do I keep my guys busy? How do I generate revenue in the down season? Blah, blah, blah. That's all. That's, that's the way I ran things. Right. Now I'm on a beach in Thailand and I'm reading Tim Ferriss's, the four hour work week <laughs> and a bunch of light bulbs went off and I was like, okay, well maybe I don't have a four hour work week. Maybe I have a 40 to 60 hour work week, but for nine months a year or eight months or whatever I decided yeah. to be. And, and the rest of the time I'm off and, you know, and, and then I started looking at all the things that I've stressed about all the things I did that I could outsource. And that's the, the thing that came out of that book, oh, like outsource yeah. your life, you know, like it's, what can you be spending your time on that you're not doing currently because you're busy doing all these stupid things or worrying about all this stuff that's mm-hmm. really like you can, you can delegate, you can pay someone to do like, so I started thinking in that way. Um, so that was another part of the shift that happened. And then when I went and, and created my business plan, my, my wife dragged me to, to Rishikesh, which is like a, a yoga town in, uh, by the Gandhis in India and did the yoga ashram, got up at 5.30 every morning and did like an hour and a half of yoga and an hour of silent meditation. And then, and then she would keep doing yoga and all kinds of stuff during the day. And I would go to that internet cafe that was <laughs> by this like old French hippie guy that was obsessed with pyramids. It's called the Pyramid Cafe and the guy had pyramids everywhere. And it was like <laughs> really random. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd literally like step in cow shit on the way there because like there's cows everywhere. <laughs> it was like really, it was so random. And I, you know, and I worked there for two weeks on my business plan. And I, you know, that environment was just like a bunch of hippies and like it's like this kind of crazy environment to work on business. But I think it put me in that frame of mind where I was like, man, like I, I can write a window cleaning business plan like in Rishikesh, like and then you know, like maybe I want to do a bit more of this kind of like work from anywhere and like be more mobile. And so when I started black tie, like it was not like we're going to have at the top, like we're going to have this much revenue, this many employees, yeah. and this is how we're going to unfold like year after year. Yes, that was part of it. But the number one thing was like, I'm going to create a thing that was allow me to be away three months of the year. And that was at the top. Like, all right, I want to do this, like how I'm feeling now. I want to feel like this every year of my life. Moving forward. I'm not going to wait another 30 years to yeah. get there again. So this needs to happen. 
on an annual basis. How do I make that happen? So that was the number one priority. With, with you know, what do they say about pyramids? They're perfectly matched for the asters and, and, and inhibit brain movements. And I can just see French cigarette smoke going. <laughs> yeah. With cow poop, I can just, I can just smell it. I can just smell it. So it was I, magical, Martin. Was I know. Magical. I was going to say, I mean, psychedelic to a certain point. <laughs> Let's bring it back to Tim Ferriss. The one thing for me that I, that I, that I took from Tim, I mean, there's a lot of things that Tim does that I like taking a chunk out of his quad for experimental duties. I thought, yeah, a little it's bit. It's a little crazy. A little, yeah. <laughs> he loves to learn and sometimes takes it to the extreme. And uh, at the one acronym, it's DEAL. Direction, elimination, automation, liberation. You set your direction for the big L at the end, right? So a lot of people, they go, I want cash. Well, what do you want cash for? What do you want money for? And they go, well, I, I work 80-hour weeks. For what? For what? What is it that you want to achieve? You want to sell your business? Okay, great. What are you going to do when you sell a business? Start over, start over, start over. I don't usually work with guys or girls like that. I'm going to say, you know what? You're in there for the wrong reason. So I think that it's very important what you've set was that that big goal is three months. It wasn't a financial goal. It was to say, okay, how do I prosper? How do I create enough profit to sustain mm -hmm. this prosperity over how many years now have you been able to travel like this? 10 years. Do it every 10 year. years. So yeah. for all the listeners, if you think this is bullshit, what we're talking about, Sebastian is scaling his business. How many people do you hire now? Do you have work for you now? In, in peak season, we're going to have about 60 people this year. 60 so we people. Have like, we have five different locations. Yeah. Millions of dollars of revenue. Okay, profit. Because he spends a lot on his crew. I've, I've seen the books. <laughs> <laughs> He's very generous with his time and his money. And he believes in people. So if you're a hard ass guy like me that cracks the numbers down, you go, yes, he's, his profit could be higher, but not at the expense of human beings. So I'm okay with that. And he still travels three months. He trusts first. And basically I'll say he fucks off and he says, you got this. Trusts mm -hmm. the people. I'm sure that they've made mistakes and they fail, but you've learned from these mistakes as well. So tell me, some listeners, and they're going to say, okay, yeah, you know what? Great, great, great talking there, Martin and Seb. You guys are seasonal. Easy to do. You guys mm -hmm. only work in the summer. What would you change? What would you change if you had a different service offering that was 365, 12 months out of year? What would you change? Well, I mean, we're seasonal in parts of the business, but there's other parts that, that are not. And I mean, depending on how... Like, you know, this year, especially we started doing snow removal, um, um, you know, that's like that's keeping the crew busy right <laughs> when I'm gone. So, I mean, it's all about uh, laying out a plan. And to me, like, I think you, you said it, uh, you know, I, I pay, I think I pay my people well and we, you know, I make sure everybody's taken care of because I know that they are in a certain way supporting my lifestyle. Uh, they allow me to go away. Like they buy you know, taking on that role, taking the responsibility on their shoulders for managing the business while I'm away and all doing their jobs. And even when I'm here, they still have that same role. I'm here just to set the vision 
um, and, and to, you know, set the direction and drive special projects forward. I don't run the business on the day-to-day uh, side of things. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to, to realize that, you know, whether we're operating 12 months a year or eight or nine, people have stuff to do. The business is still growing. We're growing by double digits every year. So that stuff needs to happen in the mm-hmm. season for that to happen. And when I got people, and I leave it up to them, right? Like, I, like when we started talking about store removal, it was three years ago. And I have uh, two different teams here in Vancouver. I have my maintenance team and my post-construction team. And, and it was offered to everyone, anybody that wanted to jump on that opportunity to generate revenue throughout winter. Uh, and not everybody wanted to be a part of it. But there was a crew of people that were like, yeah, you know what? We're going home. We want to do this. I'm like, okay, guys, you run it. Like, I'm, I'm gone. So I'm going <laughs> to help set it up. And we're going to talk about money and how much money we need to invest and what we're going to do and how it's going to flow and who's going to do what. But after that, it's up to you. I'm not, you know, and, and we share the profit. That's it. Like, I'm going to invest the money and we'll share the profit. Um, so I think it's finding people that are really willing to take on that responsibility and make it and make the responsibility crystal clear from the start. Like, listen, if you take this role on, this is what you do and this is what you're responsible for. Whether I'm there or not, no difference. And this is what you do. Yeah, removing yourself. Too many people don't, they hire without a job description and say, hey, here's what the expectation. You know, here's what's black and white. Um, I always say triple D. So a lot of people, well, actually quadruple do. If you're going to do something, if you're going to delegate something, you delegate diligently, and then you disappear. And that, that's, for me, that's how you really trust. Now, you'll verify, you'll do spot check. Like set the direction, eliminate yourself from the decision-making process, help them automate as much as you can so that there's liberation. I'm, I'm repeating that deal, but that's mm-hmm. how I view things. And you apply that very well. What, uh, what do you struggle with when you're away? Is there anything in particular that you go, you know what, uh, this bugs me when I'm away? Um, really on the operational front, to be honest, like I think like everybody's got things dialed. Um, things are so, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not attached to shutting off completely for three months and nobody can reach me, you know, like I, <laughs> I wake up every morning, spend a couple hours on email. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Anything I need to be troubleshooted, I, I help. Like, you know, of course. It's not stressful. Technology nowadays allows us to do that. You know, yeah. when I started 10 years ago, it was touch and go. Like, we had to go to internet cafes. Yeah, and all yeah, that. It's like, uh, it's a bit of a pain. Um, but now, I mean, we got Wi-Fi everywhere. We're on a remote island, island, middle of the ocean. I can zoom in when I want like you know it's kind of cool the way things have evolved and allow me to be more efficient um I would say the one thing that stresses me out is when we um when we're growing um I feel a ton of responsibility for new teams and people that are just getting stuff off the ground or you know like when we open a new market I I feel a lot of pressure on that a little bit of fear of failure a little bit of yeah wanting to be there hundred percent, not, you know, making sure that they feel supported. Uh, so that causes a bit of stress. Um, we started Victoria about three years ago and came back from vacation. I remember like we just went straight to Victoria and wife and I, and we just like, <laughs> I spent a week with the, 
the newly formed team over there and we, we've worked together. So, you know, and, and I felt like, okay, like they're good to go and they're close to home. So that wasn't too bad. Um, this year with COVID managed to travel a bit anyways, but not as much. Um, yeah. And we're also opening two new locations. So I told the guys like, you know, I, I have a new, um, new partner in Calgary and a partner in Edmonton and they knew I was gone for a month. Um, and when I came back, now we're working on opening up those markets. We weren't going to go as aggressive this year because, you know, like I, people think lifestyle business is like a dirty word, but I, I'm, I'm proud of having a lifestyle business. <laughs> I think it supports my lifestyle really well. But, uh, you know, typically I would not open two markets in one year. Right? Yeah. One and like, you know, um, but this year, when I saw COVID happen in the spring and then looked at what was happening in the summer and you weren't going to be able to travel mm-hmm. as much this year, uh, I took the opportunity to just double down and do Calgary and Edmonton in one year. And um, uh, yeah, so, so that's to go back to your question. That's what stresses me out when I have new, new things, things I haven't tried before, new team members that mm-hmm. I feel I need to support more and be more present with. I don't want anyone to suffer because i go away yeah, yeah yeah i i mean there's the huge lesson in here that so if we bring it back if you were 365 full service you wouldn't change a thing you'd still empower as much as you can create clear expectations with your team really set the goal of when you're leaving and for how long and it also permits you to inject yourself or give you the freedom to do what you want to do within your business. Because I think you're pretty heavy handed in the recruitment process, correct? Yeah, that's one thing that, you know, that with my schedule and coming back when I come back is right when we usually do our hiring for the next business. Mm-hmm. So I, I pitch in a lot on that, on, on how we, you know, I do a lot of interviews, I'll, uh, I'll help run the advertisement and, you know, make sure that everything's lined up for our hiring fair and then all the stuff that we do in the spring around uh, building the team for the busy season. So I always say leaders are learners and you've said it before. So give me some, I don't want to say leaders are readers because I'm dyslexic. So reading is not, I enjoy it, but I'm not passionate about it. It's very difficult for me. So what had, what piece of, what piece of material reference really that you can tell the listeners, hey, listen, if you want to talk about freedom, here's something, that Tim Ferriss for one of them, but here, is there anything else that you are currently learning or that you've learned in the past that really helps you build with your, your lifestyle business? Um, hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting because like there's so many business books, there's so yeah, many yeah. things you can read and stuff like that. And that, so honestly, I usually have one audiobook on the go that I listen to like a little bit half hour every day. Um, and, you know, I think over the years I've read a bunch of business books, but I think there's only like two or three that really, really stuck with me. And so obviously there's like traction. Um, that was life changing. Yeah. Putting EOS in place in our business like was definitely like it, it turned things around. Uh, and now, like, I feel like we have complete alignment around our vision, our strategy, and what everybody's role is and how they contribute to the big picture. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been fantastic. Uh, scaling Up is another one. It's kind of like, you know, it's also yeah, a strategy yeah. book for, for businesses that 
you know, goes a little bit deeper, um, a little bit more thematic in the, the strategic approach. Um, I think the most important book and the, the one that I keep revisiting, and actually we're having a book club with our management team oh, yeah. and reading it together right now is Good to Great. Uh, Jim Collins. Yeah. He, he wrote several books. That, that's one that's really like, you want to like, and somebody in one of my, I'm part of the entrepreneurial uh, master's program at MIT through EEO. And, and we had someone come, I think it was Cameron Harold that spoke to us a couple of years ago that said, you know, guys, like if 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 you if you've read like good to great, like go back to it and like yeah. read it, and you'll you'll find something like that that you're not doing properly in there, and that you can work on. Like <laughs> do that all the time. Don't need to read like a million books. Like it's, it, everything's the same. I I find sometimes, and and I'm sure you'll share that that entrepreneurs are very fickle. Right where they go, oh, shiny new book, shiny new book. I gotta learn more. Gotta learn more. I am the, the same nature that pick something. Dale Carnegie for me is like the guy. Nineteen fifty two. He was putting yeah. leadership and management stuff back in nineteen fifty two. Stoicism practice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, daily stoic. Yeah, this, with, this daily stoic is fantastic. That's part of my my routine as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Stephen Covey. Right. For me, the seven habits, mm-hmm. the one thing that I tell my kids and I apply every single day, first things first, mm-hmm. always do the first things first. If I'm and, and you combine that with stoicism, if I die, memento mori, if I die tomorrow, what am I going to mm-hmm. do today? Right. And mm-hmm. uh, one kid around the block, some people don't like him so much because he's really um, up there is Simon Sinek. So you have yeah. to be a, a very good leader to understand the concepts and how to translate mm. because he can be, he can be very up there, very strategic and, and very visionary where how do you apply compassion? How do you apply those things? But to, mm-hmm. to your point, pick something, review it, reread it. It's okay. My seven mm-hmm. habits is it's my like version three. Uh, yeah. And I've, yeah. And I've, yeah, so that's just yeah, I agree. Like, there's classics there that are just you know. I think if you that every entrepreneur has in their library, <laughs> and like, um, so yeah, I don't think there's anything revolutionary that I came across lately. I think you know, Atomic Habits. I oh yeah, that that's a good year. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, another game changer for me, like for sure. Okay, so if you were to give somebody advice, okay, and you've got like. I'm going to give you time to think about it. If there's three principles that you would share with any others, if somebody reached out and goes, damn, Sebastian, I want to do what you do. I really want to do what you do. What's the three pieces of advice that you would give that person? Well, I think one, I would say, Make sure this is what you want to do. Like, be clear on what you want because you can't have, like, you know, I think it's sometimes you have to do one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of very successful, uh, close friends and entrepreneurs that are on a completely different journey than mine. Like some of them have exited for multi million dollars. Mm-hmm. They are now, like, you know, they have to work their earnouts and they've been working like, you know, 80 to 90 hours a week for the past five years, but that's what they wanted. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like they wanted that and they are very successful at 
facing their vision. So, uh, you know, it's something that I would say, make sure that it, you, you clarify exactly what it is that you want, because I think being in business it, is about creating what you want for yourself. So 100% clarity, first thing. Okay. Um, second, if you decide that you want to take some time off and, and really like, um, you know, just spend a, a certain amount of time blocked on your business and the rest of the time you're free, I would say find the right people. Like that's the number one, number one thing is find the right people and, and give them like a clear uh, mandate to run things for you. Um, it's almost like, you know, if you read a book on uh, prepping your business for selling it for, you know, small to medium sized businesses, um, apply those principles, basically like, you know, eliminate the need for you to be there and, you know, be very clear on, you know, I look at the, <laughs> what it takes to have a business that's attractive to a buyer. That's what you need to have. That's if right. You want to do this. Systemize, systemize a, a lot of, yeah. I mean, you can listen to another podcast that I have on, on behaviors and systems as well. So it's nice to have systems when you don't have the people with the right behaviors who can make those decisions mm -hmm. for you. I think that's something that you've done yeah. very, yeah. very well. What's the last so one? I think, I think that was number three. So the right oh, people. They, oh, yeah, that's right. The right, the right people in the right seat that you can absolutely trust. Um, so pick them wisely and make sure that there are the right people and, and give them the space to, to perform too. Because sometimes like, I hear it all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy was not good enough. It's like, well, nobody's perfect. Like, we're especially entrepreneurs. We never find anyone that's good enough. So yeah, that's true. Uh, let let them fly. You know, they will they'll break things. They'll mess up. But that's okay. You're gone for three months and you're enjoying life. So it's not perfect. It's, <laughs> it's work. <laughs> and, and and three is the system. It's like everything needs to be like systemized. Three, yeah, very well organized. Oh, good. Is it systematized or systemized? I say systemized too, but like I've got corrected on that. I say systemized all the time. You know what? Now we're going to. So I'm going to ask the research, <laughs> then the writers to say, okay, answer that question at the bottom yeah. of the podcast. So you'll, you'll get the answer. Ta 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 ta. Cliffhanger. <laughs> How do people get a hold of you, Sebastian, if, if you're uh, okay with it? Absolutely. I uh, always love to talk to entrepreneurs and, and, and also property managers that need exterior building maintenance services in either Victoria, Vancouver, Calgary, or Edmonton. And soon to come to <laughs> Toronto and Montreal. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, they can reach me through LinkedIn. Uh, very easy to be reached there on our website, uh, blacktieservices.ca. Uh, uh, there's a contact form there that's really easy or directly snault at blacktieservices. You guys doing a great job on Instagram. I, I follow you guys on Instagram as well. And the pictures are really cool. Some really nice pictures on. on yeah. You know on. what? I forget to mention it. You're right. Like our social media presence, like especially on Instagram, is pretty fantastic. If you love looking at cool shots of like, oh, yeah. guys on ropes, like that's. Um, I, guys I and girls. Instagram. Guys and girls. Yeah. Guys yeah, and girls. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> I forget to mention it because it's such a, for us, it's a, it's a staff um, sort of, like it's a place of, of uh, where they, they can sort of post their photos and we encourage, like we do a photo contest mm. every month for our staff. So 
they post really cool shots and it, we use it more as a recruitment tool to be honest like it's, we have followers from all over the world and then we get a lot of people that want to come work in vancouver and and find us oh, on hi. instagram so yeah so uh, black tie property services on instagram fabulous well thank you very very much sebastian i'm sure that this will be one of the top hits how do you bugger off for three months out of the year people who want to know at the the sauce is in the trust and and let people make their own failures. So thank you very much, Sebastian. It was an amazing episode. I keep forgetting and I will not forget. Please subscribe and like because I get coached as well. <laughs> <laughs> I have to mention that. So uh, thank you very much, everybody. This is Martin Hunter, your host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategies into frontline operations. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.